Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are live, and the class shall begin. Today's lesson is called Pray. It's probably going to be about prayer. No? It's probably going to be about prayer. You should pray. A person should pray to God. Well, it's a little bit complicated. Allow me to give you a brief preface. It's a very brief preface so that you can understand what today's class is about, even if this is the first time you are joining us. And the truth is that it's a very good idea to go back and watch the other 112 episodes if you really want to understand what's going on. But you could, you could just do this. It works too. Oh, by the way, if you're not yet subscribed, would you please subscribe? That's youtube.com forward slash Kaplan. Please hit like. They watch those metrics. It's important. Hit like and share. And uh, if you're on Facebook, hop over to YouTube, and that way I can see that you're here. Like my friend Skippy is here. Hello, shalom. And you can ask questions, and I can try to answer in real time. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to say something which, for those of you who haven't been following along in our study of Shara B'tochen, will sound maybe a little bit uh, extreme. But it really isn't. Absolutely nothing that we accomplish in the arena of material success has anything to do with us. Absolutely nothing. None of the money you have, none of the brains you have, none of the success you have, none of it has anything to do with you. It is all a gift from God. <laughs> You're going to say, really? <laughs> it's all a gift from God. So why am I working so hard? Then why don't I just sit and wait for the money to rain down? Give me the money, God. I'm doing nothing. I just have trust in you. Torah doesn't say that. Yeah, this is true. Torah says you have to get out there and you have to, you forgive the French, break your tuchas. Work really hard because that's the nature of the way Hashem created the world and we discussed this at length in previous episodes and like I said, you're coming in, you're diving in in the middle of an ocean. This is the 40th episode on the fourth chapter. So, Hashem wants us to make the effort in simple terminology as the Tzemach Tzedek articulates it in Derech Mitzvah Secha. Our job is to provide cover for God. We set up the smoke screen. You know, it's like when the troops go out, there's a certain group of soldiers. Their job is to set up a smoke screen. They have to create camouflage. They have to create the appearance of something else, create a decoy so as to allow a particular attack to take place. There's a whole science to this. Foot, not different than football. People, they, their job is to set up the camouflage. Hashem gives us miracles. I don't even know why this is here. Hashem gives us miracles. It's all miracles. Do you know what the paradigm for Parnassah, for making a living, is in Torah? What is the paradigm? With a capital T. The paradigm. The manna. The manna. The manna that fell from heaven for 40. That's what Parnassah. That's Parnassah? What are you, joking with me? The Jewish people did nothing. They were in the tents and the manna was falling and we have to kill ourselves. You think your hard work makes a difference? A person can toil endlessly and have nothing to show for it. And a person can do almost nothing. And boom. Oh, you say, I got lucky. Oh, lucky. Why didn't you say so? I understand. 
So you replace God with lucky. And who is the source of the lucky? Who made you lucky? It is not unreasonable to make the following statement. Most people, most people, you are going to be going right to the camera, or maybe not. Most people spend 90% of the effort for 10% of the results, and 10% of their effort yields 90% of the success. It's like a matter of fact. Speak to any industry, speak to any person. From, from sports to arts and entertainment, from philanthropy to industrialists, everybody tells you the same story. It's the way it is. A student could work so hard to get good and good marks, and the things that he puts an enormous amount of time into ends up not really being so valuable. But the 10% of time that he studied really well, that was where it took 90% of the test. And so many things like this. So, so like, what is, what is the upshot? The upshot is that we aren't actually making things happen. Hashem is giving us everything. And we have to live with perfect faith and trust in Hashem, knowing that the Rebbeinu Shalom Almighty God is taking care of us. So why do I have to work? I have to work because Hashem said I have to work. That's my Torah thing to do. That's my duty. And of course, when a person thinks like this, he's not going to say, you know... I think I should steal a little because I got to make a living. I'll steal a little, not, not too much. I'm just going to overbill, you know, just like a, a little dishonesty. Everybody's got to be a little dishonest, right? I mean, got to make a living. Rabbi, every time you walk back and forth, there's a camera right there. So what happens is is that when a Yid lives with faith, he knows that stealing is a very bad idea and it won't earn a single extra penny for you because the money you're going to make is anyway from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And a person say, you know, I'm not going to go to Daven today. Why aren't you going to go to Daven? So I have no time to pray. Pray is, it takes an hour in the morning. I can't waste an hour. I've got to go to my business. I've got to make money. Yeah, but the same God that told you you should go to work also told you that you should Daven and go to Shul and Daven. So listen, God... There's the real world, and then there's the La La Land world. This is good for rabbis and people who have nothing to do with themselves. When I'll be retired, I'll go daven. I am the real world. He says, so, and do you really think that the Abishta, Almighty God, set us up for failure? He created a world that cannot accommodate Torah observance? Do you really believe that? That's pretty sad. That's pathetic. If that's what you think, God, who is capable of anything, couldn't create a world that could sustain Yiddishkeit. So nothing we do actually results in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the success. We do our part. And it comes from Hashem. There is only one thing that is the result of our efforts. Only one area of life. Where it's not God's doing, it's your doing. And this is a famous statement that's made in the Gemara. Hakol bidei shomayim. Everything is in the hands of heaven. Everything. With one big exception. Chutz. Meirat shamayim. Except for anything that is related to reverence or respect for God. Anything that's created to your spiritual pursuit, whether it's the performance of a mitzvah or the development of fine character traits, whether it's the acquisition of knowledge or the translating of the knowledge from your mind into your heart. 
anything that is connected to what we call avodat Hashem, which is overt act of subservience or service to God, that's in your hands. Don't blame that on God. You spent a lot of time toiling in Torah. That's yours. That's yours. Nobody takes it away. Oh, Michal David is uh, chiming in from Georgia. He says, I shall remind you that sadness, according to the Benish Chai, is one of those things. He's right. A Jew has to be in a state of joy because if you're not in a state of joy, you're not going to be able to serve Hashem properly. Not that joy is a mitzvah in and of itself. There were some Hasidic leaders who believed it. The Rebbe says that joy is meaningful because if you are not in a state of joy, you're not going to be able to serve Hashem properly. So if God gave you a certain amount of energy and a certain amount of creativity and a certain amount of wherewithal, He expects you to serve Him with all of that. And if you're serving Him with 99% of it, you're not serving God properly. You're serving God like somebody else could serve God, not like you could serve God. That's great if you're somebody else, but you're not. You're you. So how do you have to serve God like you can serve God? Because this is the case, and we've established this, made the case in a very clear way. When it comes to anything out in the world, anything, prayer is a fantastic idea. Pray away. With one exception. What's that? when you're supposed to do something. When it comes to Avodat Hashem, a person will say, I want to be knowledgeable in Torah. Oh, Hashem, please, grace me, bless me, give me Torah knowledge. You know how much Torah knowledge you're going to get from that? Probably a zero. Why? You want Torah knowledge? Go study Torah. Hashem, make my davening meaningful. Make me emotionally uplifted. Make me inspired. No, inspire yourself. Go learn Hasidus. You'll get inspired. There's, not, there's no room for prayer over there. In the previous episode, we narrated in detail how when it comes to our Yiddishkeit, we are obligated to put every ounce of effort into the pursuit of success. And if you don't put every ounce, every iota of possibility into your Avedis Hashem, expect to fail. And say, I expect to fail. Look how successful I am. I'm so much smarter than the guy next to me. And my davening is ten times better than the person sitting on the table next door. Yeah, that may be true, but that has nothing to do with your davening. Because that person can daven at 50, and you're supposed to daven at 150, so to speak. So the fact that you are praying with greater devotion when it's not the devotion that God expects of you or the fact that you are studying Torah with diligence but not the kind of diligence that's expected of you means you're a failure. Why are you a failure? You're a failure because you didn't succeed in fulfilling your potential. Let me give you a simple example. Suppose a person is gifted with an extraordinary mind. He has an aptitude for the sciences. This is a guy... You, you know, let's say you know, if he applied himself within 10 years, he finds a cure for cancer. He saves millions of lives. It's not even a question. Everybody knows. Or this is a person who has such a gift, such an understanding of, of botany and, 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 and agriculture, if he put his mind to it, he could solve world hunger. There was such a guy. There was a guy who actually created wheat. He, his invention saved millions of lives. You Google him. He's a real guy. He won a Nobel Prize. 
He was out in the field harvesting. He came to him and got a Nobel Prize. He goes, yeah, right. Like the humblest of people. So, so what happens, what happens if that guy says, I want to flip burgers? What is this, is it bad to flip burgers? Somebody's got to flip burgers. I want to flip burgers. He says, well, what are you, an idiot? You can find a cure for cancer. You can solve world hunger. He says, okay, I could, but I, I want to flip burgers. That's all I want to do. <laughs> do, you, do you understand why we'd be frustrated with this guy? He said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a failure. What a, look at the guy next to me. He, he knows how to flip burgers. That's all he can do. And he's happy. He's not jealous of anybody. He's happy with his lot. He's a fine fellow. He smiles. He flips burgers. That's what he does. He never bothered anybody. I'm going to be just like him. What's wrong with you? You have potential to turn the world upside down. You have potential to save so many lives. Flipping burgers is a crime for him. So if you're serving Hashem as, as well as somebody else could serve Hashem, but not as well as you could serve Hashem, then you're not serving Hashem. In as many words. So a person says, I tried real hard, now I'm going to pray. Okay, I tried to learn Torah, I invested about 15 minutes of full brain power, I'm getting tired now. Okay, God, make it work. Just take that page of Gemara, just like burn it into my head. What are you, what are you nuts or something? It doesn't work like that. Knock yourself out. Study Torah till you plots. Then maybe Hashem will open your eyes. That's prayers. There's no room for prayer. What are you praying for? Do. Comes to Yiddishkeit, do. Do your best. So the great Rabbeinu Bachaya says, in this next piece in Shara B'Tochen, and if you want to follow along inside the Kihat edition, we're on page 172. The header of this page is Room for Trust in Divine Service. In our previous episode, we elaborated on the idea of bitochen, of trusting Hashem when it comes to spiritual pursuit, that there's room for trust. And now we are going to go further. Alongside the placing of bitochen, which means I am perfectly tranquil, I have no anxiety whatsoever, I've conquered my anxiety, I put all my trust in Hashem. All my trust, because I did my best. So I'm not worried anymore. What should I worry about? I know I did my best. That's all Hashem ever asks of me. So alongside that, a person should also pray. A person should also daven for success. And that's the name of tonight's episode, pray. Why should he pray? What is this about? I mean, what are you praying for? You did your best. Now place your trust in Hashem. Why are we praying when it comes to material matters, we have to pray because that's what you're supposed to do. It's called bakoshas tzrochov. I need you, God. I rely on you. I depend on you. I place my trust in you. I ask you for my needs. You provide for me. That's the basic premise of tefillah, of davening. Every child should know that. But now I'm talking about serving Hashem. You don't pray to God when you serve Hashem. You serve Hashem. I know I did my best. You know, there's something going around the internet lately this is like an old story i don't know why it's come to life again it's it's like it's it's almost like sad that that there was a a, a, a non-jew living in b'nei Brak, which is a very terrified kind of area of israel there was a non-jew he was he was the official quote do not i'm not using this as a pejorative 
It's a term, Goy Shal Shabbos. He was the Shabbos Goy. He was the Nanju who turned everybody's lights on and he took out the chal and he was doing everything. The Chazanish was this famous rabbi. He was selling the chametz to him. And then they found out he wasn't the Nanju. He was Jewish. He was Jewish. He was Jewish. Yeah, he was Jewish. By the way, you, you can Google this. It's like, it's like it's out there. There's like newspaper clippings of this. What has happened? The guy needed to make a living. He believed in nothing. He was an agnostic, an atheist, didn't believe. He died. His wife said, I want him to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. They said, what are you talking about? You're Jewish. He's not. Just, hey, of course he's Jewish. This was a game. It was a way to make a living. Now think of all these thousands of super ultra-Orthodox religious Jews over the top Haredi, and they're all eating chametz after Pesach that was owned by a Jew on Pesach, which is a sin. You're not allowed to do that. Was it for lack of effort? Did they not want to do the mitzvah? Of course they wanted to do the mitzvah. Well, if they wanted to do the mitzvah, why didn't they do it? I don't know. God uh, allowed it to happen. What else could they have done? Probably not very much. They, they took a guy at face value. They trusted him. He said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm here from uh, Poland. That was the Shabbos Goy in Zamosh, and I'll be your Zamosh. What's the, what's the problem? I know all about that. I married a, a Jewish woman. She don't care. All right. I said, she's not Jewish. She's not Jewish. She said, no problem. How are they supposed to know? It wasn't for lack of effort. It's a matter of fact that the people in Bnei Brak for years were eating chametz that was owned by a Jew on Pesach, which is not, it's a prohibited. You're not allowed to eat it. So it's not because they didn't make the effort. They made the effort. They asked the questions. They believed that this fellow was not Jewish and he was Jewish. Well, that's what we're talking about here. You do your best. You try to do a mitzvah. And unfortunately, it didn't work. I told you in the previous episode a story there was something wrong with the tefillin. Thousands of pairs of tefillin were in kosher. It's tragic. So, so we trust in Hashem. You've got to put your trust in Hashem because then you, you're never going to... How will I ever sell the chametz? Somebody sent me a text two nights ago. Are you sure the Gentile you sold the chametz to is... is, a, is, is you sure he's not Jewish? I, said, I don't think he's Jewish. I don't think he's Jewish at all. He's a very, very Roman Catholic Italian kind of guy. Like a, he's a great guy, but I don't think he's Jewish. How do you know? How do you know anybody's not Jewish? There was Jews living in China. There was Jews living in the West Indies. How do you know anybody's not Jewish? You don't know. What if his mother's mother's mother was Jewish? How are you going to know? You're never sure of anything. We could do the best we could do, and we could expend every ounce of effort, and then you trust in Hashem. No, 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 says Rabbeinu Bechaya. It's not enough to trust in Hashem. And then, and then, Ubazeh, the second paragraph on page 172, Ubazeh anachnu and then, he says, and then, along with, with doing your best, then you start to pray. In other words, with regard to this very aspect of the mitzvah, carrying the mitzvah out to its successful completion, so then we are obligated, says Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, chayovim, chayovim is a very strong word, by the way. The word chayav, you know what chayav means in Hebrew? Exactly, that you have to do it. It's not an elective. It's not appropriate. It's not suitable. It's not nice. It's not fine. It's obligatory. Judaism, just by the way, is not an elective system. As some people mistakenly think or say. Say, well, mitzvahs are fantastic. You want to do them, do them. You don't want to do them. It's a free country. God loves you. Nothing really matters. But, you know, you, you can become uh, very meritorious. You can accrue fantastic amounts of holiness and spirituality and merit if you do mitzvahs. If you choose to. If you, no, well, it doesn't actually work that way. You are obligated to. 
If we weren't obligated to do mitzvahs, we wouldn't have to answer for God when we didn't do mitzvahs. We can get a pat on the back when we did do mitzvahs. I didn't, I didn't, so what? No, we're obligated. We have an obligation. Even in the secular world, there are obligations. Imagine a medical doctor driving by an accident scene, but he's late for a game of golf. He's not stopping. Can't be bothered. Then we find out that there was a terrible accident. The doctor could have stopped. There was a child. Could have been saved. Very easy for an emergency room doctor to save him. It would have taken him about five minutes. But he is going to be late for his golf game. Eh, it'll be fine. But the kid died. What do you think happens if the authorities find out that a man or woman who took the Hippocratic Oath didn't bother stopping at an accident scene because they were late for a golf game? How do you think that's going to go over? You say, well, it's elective. You know, if you, you know, if you want to save lives, that's nice. I didn't want to save lives now. I, was, I felt like playing golf today. I think that anybody who would not understand that that person is guilty and he was obligated to stop is not well. It's not well. He's, he's, either, he's either corrupt, sick, or immoral. Something is wrong. How could, how could you? It's not obligated. Imagine... Uh, Neil Armstrong goes to the moon. It's time to go out. He says, you know what, I'm, I don't feel like it today. It's one of those rainy days, you know. I'm going to stay in bed. He says, well, yeah, yeah, are you a maniac? The, the United States of America just invested like a billion dollars in getting you to the moon, and you're supposed to take that, you know, that tiny step for a man, and you say, yeah, I know, but I don't feel like it. I'm not in the mood. It's okay. I'm not in the mood today. How, how well would that go over? It would be a high treason. What do you mean you're not in the mood? It's, it's not an option at this point. The Rabbi Shlelem invests in you more than NASA invested in Ian Armstrong. There's more what we call tzimtzumim. There's more of, of a tumult, a turnover in heaven in order for you and me to be here than it takes to put a man on the moon. You're supposed to do a mitzvah. So well, I know what I was tired today. You hear the chauffeur? It's Rosh Hashanah. Well, you know, I was lazy. I'm, I didn't hear it today. But it's okay. I'll hear it next year. That's spiritually criminal. What do you mean? And what if you were the Kohen Gadol representing the entire nation of Israel in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur bringing merit to millions of people but you just couldn't be bothered? Rabbeinu Bechaya says, Anachnu chayovim. You did your best. You expended every ounce of effort. You are obligated now to pray for success. Now pray. Wow. You have to pray. love. He doesn't just say pray. He says to plead with him. love. What am I praying for? I'm supposed to do work. What is this? There's no room for praying when it comes to spiritual matters. Says the Paslechem, Ubozeh. What's the Bozeh and Achayavim? For what are we obligated? He says, Kelaimer, in other words, Bigmar Hamaisa. I did all the things I'm supposed to do. I, I, I hope the guy I sold the Chomets to actually wasn't Jewish because that wouldn't be good. I need to sell the Chomets to a non Jew. So, what are we praying for? I'm praying that the end result should work out. Because no matter how hard we try at a certain point, as we learned in the previous episode, it's in Hashem's hands. It's always in Hashem's hands. It's not in my hands. It's not in your hands. It's in Hashem's hands. 
So why do I have to pray? If God wants a mitzvah, let God figure out the mitzvah. That's no good. You're supposed to care about a mitzvah. It's supposed to be important to you. It's supposed to touch you to the very core of your soul. And things that were important to you, you're daven for. So you ask for the results you're hoping for, or you yeah. go over to Hashem and... You ask for the results. Or well, I know what the results are. The results are, I want to fulfill the mitzvah of, of sounding the shofar. That's, that's what I'm looking for. So I say, please, Rabbi Nishalaylam, it should work out right. I, I went to eat kosher meat. I hope the shocha didn't play games. I wasn't uh, checking his TikTok account instead of uh, doing what he's... I hope he did the right thing. Do I know? I can hope for my best. So I'm not just have to hope. I have to, if I care, just like I invest every ounce of effort, says the Chavis Halavavis, I have to pray. You do, and now you trust in Hashem, and along with that tranquility that I'm 100% certain Hashem's taking care, now I have to plead. Please give me the privilege. The esrog that I made a bracha on should be a kosher esrog, not a grafted esrog, not an esrog that has a little, you know, if you do a 21 and me, you find out that the ancestry of the esrog is 2% orange and 3% grape fruit and 4% uh, apple and uh, 70 whatever less uh, the rest the other 93% is, is citron that's no good if that happens I didn't fulfill the mitzvah in order to fulfill the mitzvah of the esrog I need to have 100% citron and if it's not it's a problem you know there's a guy in our show who's uh, planted a srogum in Italy and he uses seeds he uses seeds from, from, from et, an etrog that was planted in Israel but though th- that etrog was an etrog that Rebbe made a bracha on. So I'm pretty comfortable with that. If the Rebbe made a bracha on the esrog, it was a good esrog. A bad esrog wasn't coming to him. So if this is planted from a seed, of a seed of a seed, it's a great grandson of that esrog, I'm okay. I hope. <laughs> assuming, assuming that the farmers aren't doing something in Calabria when, uh, when my buddy is not around to look, oh, even though he has cameras all over the place. You, you got to hope and pray. You know, there was a, a great mashpia, a great uh, Hasidic mentor. He used to have a fabreng and he was to say a lot of l'chaim. At some point, he used to start to cry. He said, you know, I hope I'm Jewish. He said, I would give anything. Just, just show me my bloodline. Just trace me back to Avraham and Sarah. I just want to see it. I just want to see it. I just want to know that I'm really like... So, so if it's important to you, so we can do our best... But the end result is in Hashem's hands. So he says, We have to plead. We have to plead to Hashem. We have to plead, That He should help us. That He should help us. As you see, my friends, with regard to this aspect, this dimension of mitzvah observance, in other words, existentially, the idea of it being carried out to fruition, to completion. So we're obligated not only to place our trust but also to plead with Hashem, to pray. And He should help us. Okay. So now, what is this meaning, He should help us? What do you mean, help us? God helps those who help themselves. Go help yourself. What are you asking God to help you for? I understand you want the end result. Lazar is effort. Effort is in your hands. When it comes to business, that's in Hashem's hands. Remember we learned that episode, wrong turn? Do I know which is the right turn or wrong turn? This guy went invested in a, in a particular merchandise and he was sure this is going to be a fantastic new way to make a living and he makes, makes nothing. He's left with zero. Why? Because the industry changed. I was trying to give a kid a metaphor. There's a kid having a bar mitzvah. came to see me. I was trying to explain something to him. And I came to a metaphor. I said to this kid, 
He's 12 years old. He said, did you ever hear of a store called Blockbuster? Kid looks at me, never heard of it. What do they sell? They sell bread? And his parents started laughing. <laughs> his parents are a little younger than me. Blockbuster was a huge industry. They were talking about the vinyl records that I grew up with, and then the cassettes. Remember, you had to rewind the cassettes. It was a new use for a pencil. And then from cassettes, it went to the VHS, right? And there was like a, was a whole industry. I said to this kid, ask your parents. It was a whole industry. It was a, a billion-dollar industry. Every neighborhood in the Western world had a blockbuster, and people were renting movies there. I said, you never even heard of it. Why? Why? Because overnight, everything changed. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to Netflix. Who needs that? Baruch Hashem, I never went to Blockbuster, I never went to Netflix. See, my life is easy. I'm safe. Now imagine if you would have invested, somebody said, this is a fantastic business. Said, what did Blockbuster make last year? Last year was very lucrative. They made, I don't know how many, billions of dollars, IPO. Fantastic. I'm buying a Blockbuster. Goes in there, buys out all the Blockbusters. Two years later, he's bankrupt. So how did this happen? All my investments, where'd all the money go? Oh, where'd all the money go? So we don't really know what's going to be successful or not. You thought this was a fantastic business opportunity until it wasn't. But when it comes to mitzvahs, we learn you know exactly what Hashem expects of you. You don't, you don't know what Hashem expects of you. Look at Shulchan Aruch and the Code of Jewish Law. It says exactly what you're supposed to do. And you never go wrong. You do what Hashem says. You can't go wrong. So what do you mean ask Hashem to help you? What kind of help? What is this help we're asking for? By the way, this is a problem, this help. This word is a problem. So let's look at some of the traditional commentaries on the Shara B'Tachon. So the Ned of Akedish says like this. What does it mean, Lazar, to help us? He says, Musav al-Gemar ha This is talking about fruition. Bringing it home. The end result. What he means to say, Ratzalei is, Oz then. Im be'ezrat Hashem yizborech yigomer ha If this will actually complete. Ve'yiyeh be'emes. Like it says that the act of tzedakah was complete. Here's a guy giving tzedakah, he wants to help. He has no idea that the, that the person who was taking the money wasn't giving it to the poor people. He was going to Ramah and gambling every penny of it away. He says, I don't understand. I, told, I trusted this guy. I wasn't giving money. I was helping and I wasn't helping at all. How sad is that? So I gave so much money to tzedakah. Not one penny of it ever went to tzedakah. I did all my research and everything. If Madoff could steal millions of dollars from people, there could be a, a tzedakah collector who's a Madoff. Who are you, how are you going to know? How are you going to know? So he says, you made the effort, now Hashem should help, help it come to the end. So he, the way the Nedabakredit translates Lazarus Sonu means help us, doesn't actually mean to help us. Help us means help it. There's a little problem that doesn't say help it, it says help us. Other than that little problem, everything's great. No, so people say, well, you know, Rabbeinu Bachaya didn't write it in Hebrew, and he wrote it in Arabic, and then Yehudi ibn Tibbin translated, my friends, Yehudi ibn Tibbin was a great man, and he devoted his life to this. We have to, we, we, that, uh, if he wrote that, then that's what he meant, Lazarus Sonu. And here is the, the biggest emphasis, the, the biggest issue, that the next word is Ulahorot. Lahorot means, like Hora'a means instructions. I should be told what to do. What do you mean be told what to do? You don't know what to do? Look in the Shulchan Aruch. You don't know how to look in the Shulchan Aruch. Go to your rabbi and ask a Shiloh. A Jew doesn't have a question. You have a suffix, you have a doubt. I say l'charav, go to your mentor, go to your rabbi, get an answer. You did the right thing. The rabbi gave the wrong answer. It's his problem, not yours. 
I did the right thing. This is exactly the way God wanted it to be. I followed the code of Jewish law. I followed instructions. What did Avraham Avinu say when God said to him, take your son and bring him to the top of a mountain and slaughter him? What did Avraham Avinu say? He said one word. Hineni. Hineni. Here I am. Whatever you want, Rabbi Whatever you ask, that's what I do. Simple as that. The Paslechem kind of wants to take this similar kind of road. He says, so what does it mean, Lahorot? What does it mean, Lahorot, then? If Lazar means that God should help it, it, not you, but it come to fruition, what does it mean, Lahorot? Who are you giving instructions to? The, the thing? You don't give objects instructions, you give people instructions. So what's Lahorot, then? How do you read the word Lahorot? Because it says, Lazar Otanu, which the Nadebakredish conveniently wants to drop the Otanu and say, Lazar, uh, help us by helping it. What's Lahorot? So the Pas Lechem says, Lahorot means, Lahorot lonu, eich lahasig hapulahu, to show us how we, should, how we should do this. In other words, sometimes the correct choice is clear. You know what's right and what's wrong. We know what's right. But sometimes it's not always obvious, it's not always clear how to do it. There's different ways to do it. So let's say you, you have to purchase an Esra. Good, you know, you know. But you, 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 could, you could speak to, to one fellow or another fellow. You could have, if you would have spoken to Mr. A, you would have done better than Mr. B or Mrs. C. Again, the only problem with that is that you have to do what you have to do. You have to do what is reasonably the best bet. What's Lahorot? What is this? I mean, the, the Lahorot is unwieldy. It's, 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 it doesn't read easy. So, something, like something's off over here. Because Lahorot usually means showing somebody direction. You know what the, what the most famous word of Lahorot is? The most famous word in Judaism? Torah. What does Torah mean? Torah comes in language. Torah, instructions. In, in Israel, you want to play Monopoly. You open the box, you get instructions. Here's the instructions. Here's how you play the game. You buy a new computer, here's how you open it. So, what's the in, it's instructions? Like, it's like a very thing, like, well, I, I know what I have to do, but I'm not sure how to do it. That's what I'm praying for. And the biggest problem with this is that Rabbeinu Bechaya now introduces us to the prayers of King David, David Amelech. And he's going to sew together this exquisite tapestry where he has strands of psalms and he weaves them together and he shows you, you see this tapestry of prayer? This, this is how you are supposed to be. This is who you should try to emulate. The problem is David Melch is actually praying for direction. Kemosha Katuv, as it says in the book of Tilim, and this is taken from Psalm 25, the fifth verse. It says very clearly over there, David Melch says, Hadricheni ba'amitecho. Hadricheni means, comes in the term, says the Mitsudotzion, milashon derech. A derech is a pathway. So in Hebrew, the noun, the verb, the adverb, the pronoun, they're all the same. If derech is a way, a noun, hadricheni, which would be, God should show me, is hadricheni, show me the path. Show me the path, he says, David Melch. What does it mean? And so this David says, Lamdeni laasot amitit darkecha. Teach me God. Teach me how to do it right. Teach me to follow the path of truth. Ata Moshiach. Moshi'i. You are my savior. Elecha akava. 
In you I put my hope. Lamdeni, teach me. Te- well, teach me. Open a Shulchan Aruch and learn. What is this? Uh, since, when is, since when is God responsible to give everybody private instructions? Imagine that. He spoke to all of us once at Mount Sinai. By the way, we got the same instruction. I am the Lord your God. The Ramam says that's a positive mitzvah. They have intelligent faith. Do not believe in any other isms. Nothing else should be treated with the reverence of faith other than God. Because that's called idolatry. That's when he spoke to us. The rest, the rest comes through Moshe Rabbeinu and we all got the same Torah. You don't know how to figure it out? Find a teacher who could teach you. Have a mentor who will guide you. Oh, David Abel says, no, 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 no. What, I, what do you think? I'm like everybody else. Uh, what do you think? I'm going to go to a teacher. I'm David. Come on, God. You tell me. You show me. Rabbi said, David, what do you mean you show me? Go open a Gemara and figure it out. Learn Torah. What do you want from me? <laughs> you, know, you don't get, we don't get privileged like that. But by the way, this business of people saying, you know, I'm not sure what to do, so I'm waiting for God to give me a sign. See, you're actually not allowed to do that. There's a whole discussion. The Ram has a whole discussion about this. It's brought in the Sefer Mitzvah's Godel's talk, talks about it. It's not simple. They say, well, well, how did Eliezer do it? And some maintain Eliezer did the wrong thing. Eliezer said, you know, give me signs. Broadly, broadly speaking, a person cannot just decide to say, give me signs. I was once trying to guide a young man. I told him just, I couldn't, he didn't, you don't want to listen to me as a jump in the lake. But it was like a, I didn't even know how he found me. He found me on the internet to watch my classes. He told me he wants to do A, B, and C. I said, like, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. You have a Rav. Speak to your Rav. It doesn't sound right. He tells me, no, no. What I, what I do is, I, I go to the Ohel, and I ask the Rebbe all my questions. Like a, and then I, 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 like I throw my, my paper, and then I just look. I start looking in people's letters, and a word jumps out at me, and that's my answer. I said, that's crazy. The Rebbe didn't say, go to the Ohel and look in everybody else's letters till a word jumps out. Oh, that, now, now, now I have my answer. I told him, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I have no, I'd say I absolve myself of any responsibility for you. I'm not going to be here. I'm not advising you anymore. You're doing the wrong thing. He says, why? It works very well for me. It works very well for you. Because that's, that's not what the Torah says. Is it possible that the Rebbe answers that a person should find an answer? Anything is possible. You can't make a religion out of that. It's not the way it goes. You want an answer? The Rebbe told us how to find an answer. By the way, he printed all of his letters. It's 30, almost 40 volumes of the Rebbe's letters printed. It's an index. But answer all these questions. People ask questions. You want to know the answer? Find out. Go to the index and find out what they ever answered. What did he answer? Somebody in a similar situation. And invariably, I say, go to your mentor and ask a shayla. What is David Amalek asking for here? What is going on here? What is this business of, God, come on! I need you to show me now. It doesn't work like that, my friends. Ashgachal Pratis, my dear friend, does not mean that you decide that this is what it must mean. Like a certain friend of yours who has set up a school which was doing exactly the opposite of what the Rebbe instructed. Learning Lemudei Choyl in the morning and Lemudei Kedish in the afternoon. And when he was asked, hello, there's a clear hero, I, I asked an Igris. And I got an answer that it's good. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You can make your own system. You can't make it, okay, you know, I'm going to, what should I do? Is this pot kosher or not kosher? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all these books. 
I'm going to go like this and like this. I'm going to see kosher puzzle. The first word that jumps out at me is kosher or puzzle. Oh, now I know if the, if the cholent is kosher. That's, that's, I don't know. It's not Judaism. I don't know what religion that is. You want to know what's kosher? Go to a rav and ask a shayla. This is my problem. I was drinking a coffee. Somebody slapped me on the back. Somebody milk went in. This is the shayla. I don't know what to do. And the rav will answer your shayla. Oh, no, I'm going to pray. Help me make me a kosher cholent. <laughs> make a kosher cholent. Do, do what you have to do. You're obligated to pray. You must pray. What do I have to pray for? What does this even mean? This is a problem. It's not, it's not simple at all. So the Marpila Nefesh, he wants to say... <laughs> David HaMelech, look at the verse. Look at the verse right. David HaMelech starts over the verse. He says, But then what's in the end of the verse? You're, you're, my, you're my savior. In other words, it's the end result that he's praying for. You know what they say? It's one little problem with what the Marpil and Nefer says. It's not what the Rebbeinu B'chaya says. Otherwise, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic idea. It's as if saying, Rebbeinu B'chaya quotes the first half of the Pasuk. He's saying he quotes the first half, but really he means the second half. It's not what it says. With all due respect, I, I don't understand what the Marpilin Nefer is saying. It's not working out for me. Like, like this has to make sense. Rebbeinu B'chaya is the foundation. This is the foundation of B'tachan. All the Rabbeim. All the Rabbeim. Spoke, spoke Shara B'tachan. What does this mean? So there's a commentary called Toi Valavonen, And he says something very interesting. It's like, it's like a little bit like just words. But I'm going to share these words with you. And in the balance of today's class, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show you really that he, like he's on a path here. He's on a path. And especially, we'll see how, how it's explained in Hasidus, how, how this comes out with such clarity. He says, you know, you know what a Jew is praying for? When he or she does their best to serve Hashem and then they ask the Hashem l'hoyres. I'm going to read you his, what he wrote. He wrote, Kaloimer, in other words, Sheyoser mosach hasichlus me'ineinu. God should lift the curtain of, forgive me, stupidity. People are sometimes stupefied. They have brain fog. They're not getting it. They just can't, they don't, sometimes we get, we get like, we get just dumb about things. We get confused. We don't have clarity. And he says, It should strengthen our freedom of choice. So that we know now here he seems to be going down the same road as, <laughs> as the past lechem. But he, he's not. So, so, so that we should have clarity to know what to do. What do you mean strengthen your, your, your choice? Hashem gives you. Mishpat HaMechira, the Alta Rebbe says in Tanya, clearly is given to each and every one of us. If I can't make a choice, it can't be a mitzvah. If a person comes to you and says, I have a test, a challenge of my Yiddishkeit. I can't do this. On faith, I could say, I, I can't accept that. I can't judge you. If I would have your nisoyin, if I would have your test, I would probably fail miserably. I'd do much worse than you. But I can't tell you it's okay. Why? Because the Torah says it's not okay. And I have to believe, and you have to believe, that if the Torah says X, Y, and Z, you have the koyach to deal with it. How to deal with it? I make a selah harav and have a mashpia and ask a rav. There's all kinds of instructions of what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you have to be. When, he, when the premise is, I have to have the koyach. I have to be able to find the answer. God does not put me in situations where I can't. It can't be. The answer has to be there. I have to follow instructions and get to the answer. 
And then I have to have faith in Hashem. Once I do my best, I put my trust in Hashem. No anxiety whatsoever. You conquer anxiety. What's what to be worried about? Abish still loves me, takes care of me. I have nothing to worry about. What's my worry? Anxiety? He doesn't have anxiety. The Yaivitz says a tremendous thing here. And I, again, these are just words. Like the Tevil of like starts saying something, but then he like he sputters in the middle, like. So this is the direction we're going to take. I, I, hope, I hope this is what, this is what I think the Peshat is. I, I can only teach you the Torah the way I understand it. I can't teach you somebody else understands it. This is what I spent my day on today. <laughs> so this is what I, to the best of my ability, this is how I understand it. So the Yaivit says, do you know that our sages use these kinds of words? They did? Yeah, our sages use these kind of words. When did our sages use these kind of words? He says, you know what? Take a look at the Gemara in Mesechet Kiddushin. Over there on Daflamad Amad Beis. The Gemara tells a little uh, vignette. Va'amer Reb Shimon ben Levi. Reb Shimon ben Levi taught. Yitzrei shal adam mizgaber olav b'chol yoyim. A person's evil inclination overpowers him daily. You want that vacation? Daily. The battle, it's a daily battle. The Yetzirah is at your doorstep daily. And he seeks to do you in. How do we know this? Because it says so in the book of Tillam. And if it says it in the book of Tillam, then it's true. It's, it's, a, it's actually that simple. If it says it in Tillam, then it is so. What does it say in Tillam? It says in Tillam, Tzayfa Rasha Tzadik. The tzaddik, the, the Russia is looking at the tzaddik. He's trying to knock him down. He's trying to kill him. And if God wasn't there to help him, if God wouldn't help you, you couldn't overcome Yetzirah. Well, you think, you think your Yetzirah comes in one flavor? You think he wears one jacket, one hat? The Yetzirah comes in so many shapes and so many forms. The biggest tzaddik, he has a Yetzirah too. How could he have a Yetzirah? How could he have a Yetzirah? Because he does, that's how. A different kind of Yetzirah. This one has a Yetzirah where they crave money, and this one has a Yetzirah where they crave fame, and this one has a Yetzirah that they, they, they crave uh, laziness and being left alone. And that comes in, I go to the Home Depot. If you, you ever paint your house white? No. You should try it one day. You go to Home Depot, they'll give you 101 shades of white. I don't know, to me, white is white. No, this white and that white. Yetzirah comes in as many shades of white and shades of black and shades of gray and shades of blue and shades of red. Any which way. And everybody's got one. And everybody's Yetzirah is tailor-made for you. Your challenges. And every morning you wake up and the Yetzirah is right there. It's trying to knock you down. What does it mean? Mavakesh hamisay. How do we even know this talking about the Yetzirah? Maybe it's just like a wicked man. Maybe there's a Russia to show him out to get us. So the Eitz Yosef talks about this. And the Eitz Yosef says that we know it's not talking about the uh, uh, regular wicked person. It's talking about the Yetzirah. He says, because the earlier Psukim and Tillim, verses 14 through, oh, they speak about this already. This is verse 25. Verses 14 through 25 speak about the Russia. Now we're going like a different, we're singing a different song over here. So therefore, he says, this is, this is the Russia. And the Marsha tells us that because it says, what does that mean? Marsha says a gewaldige thing. He says, you know how the Yetzirah works? Yetzirah comes to you, and he has all these fantastic ideas for you. And he tells you, you know, you should do a little Aveda. And he convinces you to do a little thing. And then after, he says, who are Yetzirah? Who are Malach After the Yetzirah convinces you to do, to eat that sweet apple, 
that you think is such a sweet apple, the next thing you do is you meet the same Yitzhahara, but this time he's wearing a different hat. Now he's the prosecutor. Now he's the Malachim of us. Baruch he said, look, oh, look at this guy. You know what he did? I thought you were my friend. <laughs> you were telling me to do these things. Now you're, that's the Yitzhahara. Tzayfer Rashal HaTzadik, umavakash HaMisri. And the Marsha says, God helps him. God helps him. So the marshal asks a very powerful question. He says, one second. I mean, God helps him. Even though the Gemara in Brachas tells us everything's in heaven's hands, so to speak. In God's hands, except for the fear of heaven. So he says, nonetheless, we have a pasuk, we have a teaching. It says, the person that comes to purify, God helps him. God helps him. So yes, Mishpat HaMechira Nesuna, you have the freedom to choose and you will be judged by the choices you made and how much effort you invested in making those choices. And at the same time, at the same time, you get a little extra, a shot in the arm. Hashem is helping you to do that. There's a Gemara later on in the same Masechet, the Masechet Kedushin, Daf Peyala from Base. Gemara tells a really, a very difficult story to understand about one of the sages. And it's, a, it's an instructive story because it's a, it's, a, it's a story that shows us that anybody is capable of sinning. It says that a person should never ever trust themselves. Oh, me, I would never sin. I don't have to be careful. When it comes to matters of, of intimacy and intimate conduct, there is no such thing as being too careful. Ever. Anybody can sin. And the Gemara tells a story about a great sage. His name is Chia Barashi and he seemed to have committed a terrible sin. And then he found that really it wasn't a sin. But, uh, but, but he said, I wanted a sin. So the story is, gets introduced. I'm not going to go into the story now. But the story gets introduced that every time, whenever he would do what we call tachnun, which is silent confessional prayers, he used to say, God save me from the evil inclination. A famous question about this. If he aren't just supposed to say quietly, here he's saying it out loud, how that works exactly. Anyway, he said, he said it quietly, talked and at the end, he would say it out loud. So what are you, what are you davening for? God save me from the Yetzirah. Save yourself from a Yetzirah. What do you mean, God save me from the Yetzirah? Since when, since when do we put Avedis Hashem in God's hands? Yetzirah is trying to get you to do the wrong thing. You have to do the right thing. So do the right thing. God save me from doing the wrong thing. Save yourself. The Masha asks the same question. The Masha says, what's going on over here? Everything's in heaven hands. He says, nonetheless, when a person comes to purify, he gets extra help from heaven. And he says, oh, by the way, if you think this is difficult in Daf Pe'alaf, we already said this earlier, in Daf Lamed, we had the same problem. Thank you, Marshal. Okay, so we had the same problem. We have a, a Gemara, two Gemaras in the same Masechet, one on page 30, one on page 81. They're both saying the same thing. They're talking about this idea that God, so to speak, can help us not to sin or not to make these mistakes. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what are you putting this on God for? You and I have to do this. What does this even mean? The Alter Rebbe, in the 13th chapter of Tanya, he really he gives us words and, and explanation to understand this. He says, you know, the Gemara in Brachas, the Gemara in Daf Samachalaf, the Gemara says that when it comes to a tzaddik, so the tzaddik is ruled by his yetzer tov. He only does good things. It comes to a rasha, he's ruled by his yetzer 
And then when it comes to a Benini, it says, Zeh Each one is a judge. He has two judges. A Yetzirah judge and a Yetzirah judge. Now the Rebbe says that we see this because Davon HaMelech in the 109th Psalm says near the end, Ki Hashem stands at the right of an impoverished individual, to save him from the judges of his soul. There's, there's two judges. What does it mean? Says the Alter Rebbe, It doesn't say there's two rulers, there's two sovereigns, there's two judges. And the Alter Rebbe was going to explain to us that is plural, like Rashi says. There's plural. There's two shayftin. And what is the meaning, the diuk, the, the precise thing is that if a person is being ruled by his Yetzirah, then he's a Rosha, then he's wicked. He's doing a wicked thing, whatever that wicked act is. Whether it's a huge wicked act, a small wicked act, wicked is wicked. Rebellious is rebellious. Against God is against God. It's simple as that. You're doing a good thing, you're being ruled by a Yetzirah. You're doing a good thing. What does it mean? If in the proverbial city is being ruled by the wrong government, by the Yetzirah government, so then even it's for a moment, Russia. If that's who's in control now, then that's what you are now. So what does it mean, Zevaz Shaftan? Says the Alter Rebbe, the Yetzirah is al Mashal, metaphorically speaking, it's like a shayf, it's like a dayan, it's like a tribunal. And the judges are there. One judge says one idea. He says, this is his idea. Doesn't mean he's going to have the ruling going to him. If he's the only judge, that's it. He's the judge. He's the jury. He's the, he's the lawyer. He's everybody. You got one judge. He decides. So a tzaddik is a tzaddik is one shayfet. That's it. A rush is one shayfet. What the judge says goes. But when you have multiple judges, just because the judge said something means nothing. Why? Because we have a judge on the right a judge on the left, and then we have the chief justice. We have what's called a third. So the judge on the left says, eat it, you're hungry. Even God doesn't want you to be hungry. God loves you. So what if it's a cheeseburger? So what? You're hungry. You think God wants you to suffer? God loves you. He wants you to enjoy life. If you want to eat kosher food, he would have brought you a kosher food. Eat it. And then your Yitzhak says, what's wrong with you? People sacrificed everything to try to keep kosher and be close to God. You're going to ruin a relationship over a stupid cheeseburger? What's wrong with you? Don't eat it. Stay away from it. It's a test. And you're saying, should I eat it? Should I not eat it? I have a voice on this side, a voice on that side. I'm getting a headache here. I got a migraine. I got all these voices. I'm being pulled in directions. Each one saying his opinion. What are you doing? I don't know. I'm not sure what to do. And then you finally make the decision. I'm not eating it. I'll go to bed hungry. I'm not eating it. Oh, very nice. When you decide you're not eating it, so that's going to be the ruling. There were different judges who opined. That's the ruling. Says al this is how it works. Every one of us has this tug of war going on within us. Sometimes multiple times an hour. Forget a day. Is it going on? This is a tug of war. The Yetzirah says his opinion. He's in the Chol Asmal. He's in the proverbial left ventricle. And then as soon as he says it, it goes from the head, the idea... It goes straight into the heart and you start to ruminate and you start to think and you start to imagine. And then immediately the Yetzir Tov says, What? Don't you dare. What's wrong with you? You're going to throw away your relationship with God over us. A, a silly glass of water. Stop doing this. It's not for you. He's from the right side. That's what the Yetzir Tov is. What are you going to do? 
Who are you going to call? The answer. The rule is going to be like the one who casts the deciding vote. Who casts the deciding vote? Who HaKadosh Baruch Hu. God helps you. That's the meaning God helps you. God casts the vote for you. God gives the Yetzirah a little bit of extra strength and the Yetzirah because you have two equals over here. Each one is pulling. How are you going to succeed in weighing over the right side? The answer is God gonna, is going to give the extra strength. He adds the extra ram to the, to the Yetzir Tov, and the Yetzir Tov wins. And that's, that's how it works out. It's HaKadosh Baruch who's helping you. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives this uh, assistance, this aid and assistance. What is, the, what is this aid? What is this intervention? If God is intervening, then God's doing the mitzvahs. I'm not doing the mitzvahs. I'm just the battlefield. God's doing mitzvahs. No. Ezer is the Ha'orah Shemeir Er Hashem. You get a moment of clarity. You get a moment of epiphany. When you see clearly, you know, when a person's caught up in a lust and a desire, he doesn't see anything. He's like, it's like, it's like, like he's drunk. All he sees is this, this, this thing that looks so enticing and so delightful and he wants it and he's lusting it and he's craving it and he's sugar from it. And then all of a sudden, the lights go on. And he gets a moment of clarity in his, in his moral compass kicks into action. He says, I can't do that. I can't do that. And this is when the, the lights go on. And that's the addition. The addition is the lights go on and then, then you realize how foolish and silly it is to give into that whim. And it's like, like all of a sudden you're in a dark place and the lights go on. And, ah, you, see, you have clarity. It's a wonderful moment. And this is the nature that Hashem put in there. So this is what you're praying for. This is what David Allah is praying for. So the, that's what actually what the Teva Levana kind of alludes to. He says, this is the sikhlos, this is the darkness, this is the confusion. I need a way out of that confusion. There's a beautiful mimer from the Alter Rebbe in the Lakuta Teda, in Parsha Shlach. The Alter Rebbe says, the Rebbe says like this. He says, you know, every day you got to have a, an exodus. You're going to go out of Egypt every day. How, how does that happen? He says, a yid kundavan, and you're praying, and you're on fire, and you're really into it. And then what happens? And then davening ends. And all of a sudden, you're in your office. And the phone starts ringing. And the emails start. And the thing. And you start yelling and screaming. This guy says, I'll show him. And all of a sudden, you turn into a monster. So what happened? Such a nice person sitting and davening, and you're meditating. And all of a sudden, you turn into a doggy dog kind of. What happened over there? Where was that nice guy? The half hour ago in Shul. What happened? He says, this how it is? That's it. The Bain in him. It says, Zev is a shayftan. Each one saying his opinion. But he says, it's a shayftan, not meishlim. Each one's just giving an opining. Is that giving a verdict? Ki shlita Evil cannot overpower you. It's only like he can opine. He's there. He makes himself heard. But Hashem is Yamed Liyamin Evian Leishia Mishayft Nafsha. This is like almost a repetition of what he says in Pedigud Gimel of Tanya. And here the Alter Rebbe adds a few interesting sentences. He says, "This, this is what we learned in the Gemara in Kedushin. This is what we just learned. That Ilmole Oizre, if not for God helping him, Haino Ayedei Shemis Oider BeKrishma Vatvila. What happens is you become inspired, stirred, moved." through your prayerful experience. And let's use the words of the Marsha now. Ki habole taher, when you come to purify, 
you have to come to purify. If you come to purify, and come means to go out of your comfort zone, to go out of the natural orbit of things, then you get helped. Then you get helped. You have to push. You have to push. And that's why you have to go out of Mitzrayim. Because if you stayed in your comfort zone, if you did things today exactly as you're doing yesterday, you never went out of your way to purify. Don't expect any help. The help will come when you push yourself, when you go out of your own limitations. And how does that happen? He says, in this pushing yourself to go beyond limitations, it's what's called in Kabbalistic terms, it means an awakening from below. When you are going to elicit and stir the feelings from your partner who's Hashem. That's how you elicit and you stir Hashem to respond. So you push yourself and then Hashem responds. And that pushing, that pushing actually turns out is prayer. Because here's a mimer from the Rebbe Rashab in the famous Hemshech of Tafresh Samach Vov. One of the most famous continuations of uh, Hasidic discourses. A whole book full of discourse after discourse cascading one into the other. Says, says the Rebbe Rashab in this Hemshech. This is Shabbos Parsha Smeis. Of, the, of 1906, he says, and the Aveda, the service, the toil, the effort, the dedication, the devotion that comes from the core of one's being, from Etzamanashama, this actually comes from a higher place. When a Yid devotes himself to Hashem to the point that he's able to inspire the core essence of his, of his spiritual being, this is not in the Neshama itself. You couldn't get to this on your own. This is This is what you're given from on high. He says, because this is what's the terminology that's used is Hashem says this is the language that's used in Pasha's Kerach. God gives like a gift. Because that you, you, know, you know how a person is able to, so to speak, express himself? This is in the 34th Psalm. It's the third verse. The literal translation by Hashem Tesal Nafshi is, My soul glories in the Lord. Hashem Tesal Nafshi. What does that mean, Hashem Tesal Nafshi? Take a look in the actual capital. Hashem Bechuas Hashem. In the salvation of Hashem. In God's help. That's how my soul is glorified. I'm able to glorify through Hashem who helps me. Rashi says, Sheyeshli Patron. I have a patron. Who's my patron? I have a patron in heaven. I have God who's looking out for me. That's what this is about. In other words, Tchila has to be Bechinas Avoida. It has to come with toil and effort and you have to work really, really hard. And you have to do everything you could possibly do with the wherewithal God gave you. You have to push every button and you have to, you have to marshal every ounce of effort that you, with all the ability you have. And then, when you did your best, then all of a sudden, then you get this surge of energy from on high. Because you knocked yourself out. Because you pushed yourself beyond possibility. And he says there's a very simple example of this in the terminology of our sages. You want to eat and enjoy Shabbat? You better work and prepare on Friday. Misha Torah better Shabbat you have to work on Friday, then you'll have what to eat on Shabbat. It's very simple. 
And this refers to the, the lights going on. The lights going on is called in the language of Kabbalah, the light of God's will. You see with clarity what God really wants. It means where you have this great love for Hashem, where you're ready to make any sacrifice, you just want to be close to Hashem. And that comes from the depths of the neshama itself. And later on in the Maimer, the Rebbe Hashab very clearly says, he says he alludes to the Gemara that we just talked about before, if not for Hashem's help, he says, if not for the help he was getting from on high, all of the fire you could rouse within yourself, all the passion you could stir within yourself wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough to overcome the Yetzirah. It wouldn't be enough to overcome the, the, the bull in the china shop animal soul. But, but he says when you have, you have a time to contemplate, and there's a hesedus of Ava V'yira. And in, in, in the right time, and when is that, he says, and this is the Zman of Krishma V'tefillah. This is prayer. This is what we're pleading to Hashem. So when you connect to Hashem through prayer, then, then you're able to overcome your animal soul. When you toil and work with yourself, and you toil and work with yourself at davening, he says, has to be You need to work as you can, as God gave you the ability. That's how you need to work. But when you do your best, then the Rabbi Nishlam takes over. This is a fantastic concept. This is the essence of Yiddishkeit being conveyed to us. This is what the Bina is saying. But like, when you see how Chassidus explains it, and then you go back to the Bina and now it all fits together, now it all makes sense. And this is exactly what David Melech was doing. When he toiled and he worked and he made the efforts and then he trusted in Hashem and then he began to pray. And David Melech said, We translated that verse earlier. Omar, and then there's a verse in Psalm 109, the 38th verse. David Melech says, We talked about that meme before. Hadricheni means that path. Hadricheni guide me. On the path, b'nsiv mitzvah secha. What is a, a nesiv? Is a small pathway. A shvil says the mitzudas tzian. A mesila, a little pathway. You know, sometimes it's not always a big paved road. Sometimes it's not an easy path of no resistance. It's a, it's a, it's a small, narrow path with great resistance. And we ask. David Amal said, "Hanricheli b'nsiv mitzvah secha." The path of your mitzvahs. Mitzudas David says, "Ratzaloimer min hashamayim yisayeyali." I says David Amalech, I'm pleading, help me from heaven, help me travel that path. It's exactly the point. Help me travel that path because I did my best, and then and then I have to ask you, Hashem, for help. Va'omar, and then he says right afterwards, "Derech emuna b'charti." This is part of me earlier. Earlier in, in, in Psalm 30 of 119, what does it mean, Derech Bacharti? I chose a path of faith. Mishpatecha Shivisi. I placed your, 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 um, your, your ordinances before me. And then right away, the next verse is, Dovagti Bed Vesecha. I cleave to your testimonies. Hashem. God, don't, don't bring me into embarrassment. Don't bring me to shame now. I did my best. I tried my hardest. Now, Hashem, you do the rest. What do you, Hashem, do the rest? You, you're David HaMelech. 
Do it yourself. Aha, a yid has to know that he or she tries so hard, really so hard, and marshals every ounce of wherewithal and fires all the cylinders. And then you say to Ben Shalalam, now, now I did my part. Now to Ben Shalalam, now, now you, you, you have to make the rest happen. So yes, in spiritual pursuit, a person says, everything's in heaven's hands, except for things which are connected to Yiddishkeit. You have to work really hard. But Abayna Bechayah says, don't be a fool and think that the end result is yours. Even that's not yours. Even that, ultimately, the climax comes from Hashem. He spells it out so beautifully in the Mitzudah's David. He says, Dovakti, I have cle- I cleave to you. Alkain, Dovakti I cleave. You know how hard it is to cleave when the wind is blowing and trying to separate you and you're cleaving, you're holding on for dear life? I held on. Because I cleaved. That's why don't bring me to Tabusha. That's what's going on over here. Va'omar, and he says, and now we're going forward to verse 43, and he says. In the, when Psalm 119, he says, What does this mean? The Mitzudah Zava says, Tatzel is like, take away. Don't take away. Don't remove from me. Don't remove from me the, the, the word of truth because I have yearned for your mitzvahs. In other words, your yearning is a part of it. The Mitzudah Zava says, I'm yearning, mekave, I'm hoping. Lasis mishpatecha. Ein meharoi lies nichshobahem. It's not fair, Hashem. I try so hard, I want to be, I want to be your servant, I want to be close to you, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. I shouldn't stumble. It shouldn't happen that way. And that's the meaning of you do your best and then pray. So in worldly matters, what we do has nothing to do with reality. A person can work so hard at his business and have nothing to show for it. He says, it's not, it's not fair. I worked so hard. Yeah. I bought all the blockbusters. And they all went bankrupt the next year because Netflix came out. It's not fair. Life's not fair. But in Yiddishkeit, it doesn't work like that. If you toiled and worked really hard at your Yiddishkeit and then you prayed, you trusted Hashem. And then you prayed. You said, Shalom, I really care about this. I want this you will always be successful. Like the Gemara says, Yogaiti, Umatsasi, if I toiled, and then I found the spiritual success, that's the only believable narrative. Everything else, a bunch of baloney. This is such clarity. This is like when, when you kind of put it all together, especially as the way Hasidus explains this, now it all just, it all fits together. It all makes perfect sense. And it gives us a tremendous, tremendous amount of understanding of how we have to trust in Hashem, do our very best, and at the same time, where there is room and need, necessity, obligation for prayer and entreaty so that we should be successful in our Avedis Hashem. And in the next episode of Meretz Hashem, we're going to get into the details. So what exactly are you praying for? Like, is there a right way to pray? We'll talk about the perfect prayer so that we can be successful in our Avedis Hashem. The Ebeshta should help us, that Hashem should have nachas from our efforts. We should be successful in our Avedis Hashem. And uh, you know when we'll be really successful? When Mashiach finally comes. May it be b'mheiro, be amenu amen. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. Please like and share. Thank you. Have a beautiful evening.